KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, committed to enhancing the driving experience with vehicles like the 2023 Sequoia with its all-new design and durability to take adventures on and off the road. Learn more at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. New polling reveals the San Diego mayor's race is neck and neck. Todd Glory is ahead of Barbara Bree 39% to 38%, but that's well within the 5.3% margin of error. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Allison St. John. This is KPBS Midday Edition. During these most uncivil times, San Diego hosts a conference on civil civic dialogue. But you can engage in really robust, often heated discussion, but you have to respect the person on the other side. On this clean air day, we'll ask, how healthy is San Diego's air? And we'll hear five new songs from local bands to help get us through October. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Bill Howe Plumbing, Heating and Air, Restoration and Flood Services. Family owned and operated for three generations, Bill Howe has been serving the plumbing, heating and air and water damage needs of the San Diego area since 1980 with their fleet of trained professionals. Bill Howe has the ability to service all major and minor plumbing and HVAC emergency needs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Bill Howe is committed to providing excellent service to their customers with transparent quotes and attention to detail on every job. Whether you're in need of an HVAC installation, plumbing, or water damage restoration in San Diego, they offer the convenience of scheduling an appointment over the phone, online, or through live chat on their website. Call 1-800-BILL-HOWE or visit billhowe.com because we know how. New polling for races in the city of San Diego finds the battle for mayor is still almost neck and neck between Democrats Todd Gloria and Barbara Bray. The new numbers from the San Diego Union-Tribune 10 News Survey USA poll also give an indication which way voters are leaning on city measures that would increase housing for the homeless and establish a new police review board. Joining me is San Diego Union-Tribune reporter David Garrick. Hi, David. Welcome. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Is there a clear leader in the San Diego mayor's race? Uh, no. In the, in the latest poll we've done, Todd Glory is ahead of Barbara Bree 39% to 38%, but that's well within the 5.3% margin of error. So it's basically a dead heat or as close as it can get to a dead heat. Where is Bree's support coming from? It was already more so among Republicans and independents. And that seems to fit because she seems to be taking some more centrist and and Republican-friendly positions. And that's something that she sort of had to do because she was the underdog in this race and she's running against a fellow Democrat. So, you know, taking similar positions to him doesn't help you when you're an underdog. And uh, who's supporting Gloria? Uh, More of your hardcore Democrats. He's been uh, endorsed by the San Diego County Democratic Party, despite the fact that he and Bree are both Democrats. They chose him. And uh, he's also getting more support in recent days from uh, young people, Uh, and Latinos, which he's a Native American, Latino, and Filipino. Uh, And Bree was actually leading with Latino voters in our last poll, but now he's leading with Latino voters. So that's sort of been a surge for him. Now, this mayor's poll finds almost a quarter of the voters polled still undecided. So does it seem the race really could go either way? It does, yeah. 23 24% are undecided with only four weeks left, and voting is actually underway. So uh, and it's, it's hard to know how those voters are going to go, especially with two Democrats. You don't know, are a lot of those late voters Democrats? I mean, typically they are. And so if it's a Republican 
versus Democrat race, you can guess where they're going to go. But here we have two Democrats, so it's very hard to guess where those votes will go. You know, speaking of undecideds, the poll finds a full 50 percent of voters undecided in the race for city attorney. That race pits incumbent city attorney Mara Elliott against challenger Corey Briggs. Who's ahead in that poll? Uh, Elliott is ahead, but her lead has shrunk. On our last poll, she was 10 points ahead, and now it's down to six points, which is just barely larger than that margin of error I keep mentioning of 5.3%. One thing interesting to note is that Briggs has made inroads with Republicans. Uh, They're both Democrats also in the city attorney race, but Briggs' support among Republicans has been increasing. Now, when it comes to the measures facing San Diego voters, the polling is not looking good for Measure A. Can you remind us what Measure A would do? Yeah, Measure A is a $900 million housing bond. It's really designed as sort of a local solution to homelessness and an effort for San Diego to get its sort of fair share of state money because uh, L.A. and San Francisco have passed bonds like this, and so they're getting a huge uh, amount of state money. Uh, Anyway, it's a housing bond, uh, and it would build uh, housing for homeless people. Uh, But the poll shows that it needs two-thirds support, and the poll shows it's not close to that. So it's barely ahead, about five points ahead, and it needs to be much farther ahead than that to have any chance of reaching two-thirds on Election Day. And Measure B, which would give more power to a police misconduct oversight panel, that one seems to be doing well with city voters, doesn't it? Yeah, beyond well, I would call it a lock. If I were a gambler, I would would be willing to bet on it. It's leading 53% to 21%. And it only needs a simple majority. So I would say that's, a, that's as good as, a, as, as approved. And how are the two other measures on the city ballot polling? Uh, yeah, well, Measure E is the really interesting one. That's the one that's to raise the height limit near the sports arena, which could allow a new sports arena to be built and would allow sort of intense housing around the sports arena area, which a lot of people feel is a, an area ripe for, for redevelopment. That is leading in our poll by 12 points. And the poll we did a month ago it was only leading by two points which seems to indicate that the more people are hearing about the proposal, the more they're liking it. I mean, hard to say for sure, but that's what it seems to indicate. Uh, And if that passes, that's a game changer for the sports arena area. The the other one was the the school district. It changes school district voting from at-large district by district. That also looks like it's going to pass. It's leading, but there's a lot of people who are undecided on that one. So it's it's not, not for sure. Now, David, there were questions raised about the methodology and accuracy of the last survey USA poll on local races. What can you tell us about whether that was corrected and what the best practices are to ensure polling data is as accurate as possible? Yeah, you know, it's a complicated thing, especially in the world where people have more cell phones. In the old days, when people would do these polls, everyone had a landline. So the shift of people to cell phones has created some more uncertainty and confusion about are you getting a representative sample and a swath of, of the population? I'm not a statistician and I'm not an expert, but I know those are some of the key issues. Uh, the criticism of last month's Survey USA 10 News Union Tribune poll was that there weren't enough independents uh, in the poll. Independents are typically about 30% of the local electorate. And in that one, I think it was 18%. Uh, this poll was better. It was about 23%. Uh, but th- when I talked to the head of the polling company, he said they didn't really do anything differently to try to make that number better. It just got better on its own. Uh, and the other criticism of the poll one month ago was that there were too many likely voters out of the folks surveyed. Uh, that number was like 90-something percent, which does seem you know, enormously high. Uh, this time it was lower, and uh, I talked to the polling company guy, and he said that was something that they did make happen. They were sort of more aggressively screening folks instead of just asking them when they were being surveyed, 
are you likely to vote? They asked him other questions about, oh, how do you plan to vote? Where do you plan to vote? Just to sort of figure out exactly what the person's plans were. And in the course of doing that, they realized some folks who had maybe identified themselves as a likely voter, maybe weren't really a likely voter. And so that number shrunk down to a more uh, common, common result that you would expect to see. Okay, then I've been speaking with San Diego Union Tribune reporter David Garrick. David, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Today is Clean Air Day, a day to focus on the air we breathe, how it affects our health and what we can do to keep it clean. This year, our awareness is heightened by the weeks of smoke drifting from wildfires that have hung over the county. We had unhealthy smoke billowing over the South Bay after the fire on the USS Bonhomme Richard. And, of course, climate change is affecting everything. Here to give us a better understanding how, about how changing air quality is affecting us is Dr. Bruce Bakar, an OBGYN who is on the Climate Action Campaign's Board of Directors and is a volunteer with the American Lung Association. Dr. Bakar, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. You say that it's a misnomer, that because we live by the ocean, we have pretty good air quality. Talk to us about that. Everything's relative, I guess. I grew up in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley, and and air was something you could see on many, many days out of the year, and it definitely hurt our lungs as kids running around. So the air seems clean in coastal environments and, and in San Diego most of the time. But in fact, we have data, uh, for instance, from the State of the Air Report from the American Lung Association, which they put out every year, that shows that Southern California and San Diego specifically is in the top 10 worst areas in the country for two very uh, important types of air pollutants, both ozone and fine particulate matter, PM 2.5, which are very serious health risks and also tightly uh, related to the climate crisis. So they're increasing. So in general, talk about how poor air quality affects our health. Poor air quality, in particular uh, ozone and fine particulate matter, have access to the bloodstream and they directly affect inflammatory processes. We're hearing a lot about that now with COVID uh, infections, that that COVID elicits uh, an intense inflammatory reaction in the lungs, which can be deadly and often is. So that's one example of the inflammation uh, aspect of air pollutants that can cause adverse health effects. In addition, we know that asthma attacks in children and adults uh, are often triggered by elevated levels of air pollution. Well, now, there are these apps nowadays that can tell us exactly what the air quality is like in our neighborhood. In our neighborhood, you know, uh, for example, the Purple Air app tells us the, the, the particles per million. What are we to make of readings that show particles per million like Today, they're showing over 100 in many parts of the county. These readings tend to fluctuate, but uh, it is really important that we have access to this information. There are air uh, quality monitoring stations uh, across the state, but basically the higher the number, certainly when it gets over 100, uh, the more people are going to be affected, whether or not they can tell the air is polluted. Uh, That's why apps like this and information on the air quality uh, is really important for people. Again, especially if they fit into the vulnerable groups of the elderly, people with pre-existing heart and lung conditions, uh, people that are chronically ill, children, uh, anyone with asthma. And as our recent study would suggest, uh, pregnant women. Talk a little bit more about your research on how it affects pregnant women. I was very fortunate uh, as an OBGYN to be able to connect with some other climate-minded scientists who actually have a a background in research. And we ended up doing what has become the first ever large-scale review 
of common climate change type exposures, heat and these two types of air pollutants we've been talking about, and adverse pregnancy outcomes in the US. Uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association published our findings in mid-June, and what we were able to show was that 57 out of 68 studies showed a very strong, significant association between those exposures, heat, and the air pollutants that we've been talking about, and bad birth outcomes. So how can people make use of, of any data they have about air quality uh, to make decisions about their daily lives, you know, um, possibly for someone who's pregnant or someone who has young children? You know, what's a good day to take the kids to the park, for example? How should it affect our daily lives? I think we're still learning how to answer that question, but at, at its most basic level, uh, it's not a bad idea to get in the habit of, of checking with that app and looking at uh, to see uh, what the air quality is like in, in your town, your place where you live or work. And then certainly if you're in one of those vulnerable groups that we were talking about, uh, modifying your activities, spending less time outdoors, more time inside where there is hopefully cleaner air. That's not always the case, but it, it uh, should, I think, uh, make us more prone to use this information to reduce our exposures. And then if you have an elderly parent, certainly somebody with COPD, or pre-existing heart disease to be in touch with them and also make uh, recommendations to them about trying to avoid exposures on a particular day or being more uh, attentive to any symptoms, discomfort they may have or shortness of breath so that you can be more on top of making sure they get the care that they need on those days of unhealthy air quality. So if you have one of these apps that tells you the parts per million, uh, what would you say is a level at which you start as a doctor to be getting concerned about the average person? somewhere between 100 and 150. Uh, I don't think the science is fully worked out uh, exactly how to quantify the risk, but I think the, the higher the number, certainly the more precautions, the more attention we should be paying to this. And I think there's a bigger point to be made as well. We are seeing again in Southern California, a lot of unhealthy air days, and we shouldn't be fooled just because we live in a coastal city that we're free from this. And I think there are a number of things that we can do to help improve the air quality, both indoors and outdoors. Some of it is personal actions and some of it also is community wide. Uh, and I think it's really important for us to engage in this topic more, more than just from the perspective of trying to limit our personal exposures and those people in our family and think of the, the larger picture and the opportunity that exists for us to, to make air quality better over the long term for everyone's sake. Before we get to what we can do to make air quality better, I, I want to ask you, as a doctor, how concerned have you been about the effects of the smoke from the wildfires drifting through our region? I'm very concerned. Uh, the pollutants that come from wildfires, they're particularly noxious things like carbon monoxide, which is a odorless, colorless, poisonous gas, ozone and fine particulates and other toxics that come with wildfires aren't polite enough to stay within range of the fire itself. They often travel tens or even hundreds of miles from where the fires are burning. So many people are affected, even if they're nowhere near the actual danger of the fire itself. Now, the San Diego Association of Governments held a webinar last week asking people to take an on-air pledge to help clean the air. You know, Sandag is a, is a transit agency, so they're focused on getting people out of their cars and, and taking public transit or, or biking. But what else can we do to help the quality of the air that we breathe? If we can uh, eventually move housing more to a centralized plan as opposed to being so spread out, there's less transportation needed. 
making public transportation more affordable and accessible is important. Not sitting idling in your car for 30 minutes while you catch up on all your texts would be a great habit that we could all get into. Well, thank you so much for uh, your perspective on this. We've been speaking with Dr. Bruce Becker, who is an OBGYN uh, and active with the Climate Action Campaign's Board of Directors. Dr. Becker, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Allison St. John. After last week's presidential debate devolved into frequent insults and interruptions, mostly by President Trump, America is holding its breath to see what tonight's vice presidential debate will be like. In fact, so often these days, the statements of America's political candidates feel like assaults rather than information. And so, the ninth Annual Conference on Restoring Civility to Civic Dialogue, which takes place virtually today, could hardly come at a better time. Speakers will address what conspiracy theories and verbal vitriol are doing to the health of our democracy. Joining me is political science professor Carl Luna, director at the Institute for Civil Civic Engagement and organizer of the Conference on Restoring Civility to Civic Dialogue. And Carl, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Maureen. Now, you've been advocating for civil-civic dialogue for many years now. What was your reaction to the presidential debate last week? A lot of pepsin, I'm afraid. Uh, It was, as everybody wants to point out, a low point in modern presidential discourse. The sad fact is neither of the candidates are probably going to pay much of a price at the polls. People now put partisanship over any sense of propriety and civility, and it's at the detriment of our democracy. Why do you think our political dialogue has come to this? Is is it the president's fault, or are there more factors involved? Oh, it's more complicated than any one political leader, Marine. President Trump, he plays into it because he's good at doing it. He knows his strong suit, and it, he's always been the bully, and it works. And I'm not saying that derogatorily. He himself likes to push people around, and his supporters kind of like that. Uh, but this goes back for years. And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to a simple fact. We're confronting so many different problems and crises as we move through the 21st century. Neither of the political parties really have a handle on how to address it. So if you can't solve the problem, what you're left with is demonizing the other side. Now, this incivility in our politics is not restricted to national politics. Just recently in Carlsbad, a city councilwoman took out a restraining order against what she calls the threatening conduct of constituents online. How big a role does social media play in this breakdown of civility? Well, if lead was in the pipes is what, uh, in the waters, what took out the Roman Republic, uh, the social media is in danger of doing that to our Republic. Unchecked, unfiltered social media, and with monopolies basically of, of these big purveyors reaching into every home, allows a fire hose full, full of falsehoods, misinformation, uh, conspiracy theories to flood in our daily news feeds. And then you don't know what's what. I mean, even discerning viewers can be fooled by things that they see on the internet. Now, as the featured speaker at today's conference, you have Cindy McCain, the widow of Senator John McCain, who has been working on the issue of civility. Tell us about that. 
Well, Mrs. McCain spoke this morning in a, a webinar that went, went out from the University of San Diego and the San Diego Community College District, and she spoke passionately about her husband's dedication, the late Senator John McCain, to civility. It did, for him, it didn't mean that you just give up on your viewpoints, but you can engage in really robust, often heated discussion, but you have to respect the person on the other side. You have to begin with an assumption, unless you're given real evidence to the contrary, that the other person is acting in good faith and also wants a better America too. You just disagree on how to get there. Now, who and what else is featured at the conference? Well, this afternoon, we have a uh, panel on misinformation and conspiracy theories and their impact on democracy, which features uh, historians from around America. Uh, also, uh, locally, Matt Hall, Natalie Walsh will be on the panel looking at it from a journalist perspective. Uh, and we're going to focus in a small part on QAnon as an example of a conspiracy theory that's hijacked uh, the child trafficking uh, the issue, talking with a couple of experts in child trafficking. I mean, all these weird things uh, circulate about conspiracies with child trafficking to distract from really good public policy. And that's the problem with these conspiracies. And then after that, we'll have at uh, two o'clock, Michael Vu and Thad Gowser from UCSD, Lori Thiel from the League of Women Voters talking about voting in 2020, fact from fiction, another example of falsehoods which are interfering with our democracy, how you can know your ballots are going to be safe. And the fact that if we don't know who won an election night, no big cheese, that's supposed to be normal. Now, because of our contentious and our polarized politics, are you concerned about the November election? I am more concerned about an election at any point in my life, Maureen. I hate to be hyperbolic about it or sound emotional for it, but the 2000 election was one that came down to you know, problems in Florida. Neither party going into the 2000 election prior to that were talking about how you can't trust the outcome, how the whole thing's going to be stolen. We've created such an environment of fear uh, about the election. For the Republicans, they think fraud will steal the election from them. For the Democrats, an archaic electoral college system and voter uh, laws that restrict the votes, they're afraid could steal the election from them. Neither side is well positioned to credit the other side with winning. And that's the sort of uh, crisis we have never faced in our republic. Well, after today's conference, there is the vice presidential debate tonight. How do you think that will compare to the presidential debate last week? One would hope it would be better, but already I hear there's arguments going on about whether or not you'll have plexiglass on the stage. Uh, you have a big, basic question about will Mike Pence come out swinging? See, his problem is there's more of a spotlight on him because with, with President Trump and his recent illness, the VP debate now takes on a whole new importance. And uh, Mr. Pence is usually kind of quiet. If he doesn't come out swinging like the president did last week, uh, he may look weak to his base. And that could cause it all to disintegrate. And again, and uh, Kamala Harris, a veteran prosecutor, might actually be able to take him down if he does that, which will help her. But she may be sucked into it, too. My hope is some policy gets discussed tonight or uh, in the debate. Uh, I'm not as hopeful. OK, then I've been speaking with political science professor Carl Luna, organizer of the Conference on Restoring Civility to Civic Dialogue. Carl, thank you so much. Thank you. To join in this afternoon's session of the conference, register at sandiego.edu slash civility and look for the upcoming events bar. Attendance is free.
San Diego County's Board of Supervisors will change more this year than it has in the last two decades as new term limits kick in and three of the five seats are on the ballot. The race for the second supervisorial district will determine who gets to succeed Republican Diane Jacob, who's held that East County seat for the past 28 years. The two candidates running to replace Jacob are both Republicans. The outcome of the race will be an indication of how the Republican Party is reframing itself as a blue wave sweeps San Diego County. So here to tell us more about the candidates is KPBS anchor Maya Trabulsi. Maya, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Allison. So now briefly, who are these two candidates running to replace Diane Jacob and what is their political background? Okay, so we have the two candidates, both Republicans, as you pointed out. We have Steve Voss, who has been the mayor of Poway since 2014. He's also the chair of the San Diego Association of Governments for the last two years, also known as SANDAG. Joel Anderson has some more legislative experience. He's represented the 77th district in the state assembly for four years, which includes a lot of district two. He moved into the state Senate in 2010, where he served there for eight years. Now, in speaking with Steve Voss, how does he define the differences between them? So the two candidates are fiscal conservatives, both running in a historically red district, and they share a lot of priorities. What sets them apart, they say, is their performance record as public servants. Here's what Mayor Steve Voss had to say about it. I think the distinctions between myself and my opponent could be summed up with uh, three things, track record, temperament, and trust. As far as track record, I'm the only candidate with executive experience in running a jurisdiction, and I, I think I've been pretty successful. Voss went on to talk about his temperament and trust. He talked about the shooting at the Chabad of Poway, where he says that he mourned with the congregants and, and the rest of the world, really, saying that you cannot fake compassion. When I talked to Anderson, he said, if you think that we're in a great place in District 2, then don't vote for him. He says he's not your guy because he intends to change it. <laughs> okay, so bearing in mind that there's a good chance that the whole Board of Supervisors will change this year from being dominated by Republicans to having a Democratic majority, what did the two candidates say about how they can work across the aisle? Democratic influence is undoubtedly growing in the district. In the primary election, the lone Democrat, Kenya Taylor, she brought in 27% of the votes. In the district, registered voters are broken down like this. 36.2% are Republicans, 33.8% are registered Democrats, and 3.9% are independents. Both candidates are making it quite clear that they look forward to working across party lines. Specifically, Anderson points to his experience in Sacramento. He says for four years he didn't go to a Republican caucus. Here's more on what he had to say about his experience. You know, in, in the time I had in the legislature, I did over 450 bills across party lines. I either joined or co-authored with my Democrat colleagues. If you added all the Republicans I served with collectively, I did more bills with Democrats than all of them combined. Voss says he's not a professional politician and he is, quote, not part of any political machine. He says whether or not it's a race to the middle, it's where he lives. And he says he's happy with that. Well, briefly, what did they tell you about their priorities? Voss has always said that his number one priority is crime and fire protection. On his campaign page, he also lists protection and expansion of open space and infrastructure. He wants to reestablish the county business development office that was eliminated 15 years ago. 
Mental health and homelessness are issues, he says, are particularly important to him after he witnessed his own sister's struggle with schizophrenia and homelessness. Similarly, Anderson wants to improve mental health response in the region by bolstering the county's psychiatric emergency response team, also known as PERT, to respond to 5150 calls safely. Career opportunities and housing attainability in the county are paramount to him as he is he says he's tired of seeing people moving out of the state because they can't afford a home here. He also wants to work on developing the area around Gillespie Field Airport to create jobs and tax revenue, and that will help in turn pay for public safety. Now, incumbent Diane Jacob remains pretty popular with her East County constituents, even after all this time. Who does she endorse? It's been no secret that Diane Jacob has passionately supported Steve Voss, and Voss has had countywide bipartisan endorsements, including from Chula Vista Mayor Mary Salas, who's a Democrat. He's had endorsements from four current supervisors, Mayor Kevin Faulkner, and nine other city mayors have endorsed Voss as well. Deputy Sheriff's Association, CAL FIRE, and law enforcement agencies in the district. Now, Anderson has a long list of endorsements by community leaders and elected officials, including former California Governor Pete Wilson, and he is officially endorsed. In the wake of George Floyd's death at the hands of police, many law enforcement agencies are wrestling with how to more justly serve the communities they've sworn to protect. In Los Angeles, the LAPD thinks that it has a program that works. It's called the Community Safety Partnership Program, and it's about strengthening relationships between cops and residents. KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb has more. Lieutenant Gina Brooks is the officer in charge of the Community Safety Partnership Program, or CSP, in South Los Angeles. How you doing, man? She walks a beat every week at several housing projects in Watts and tries to connect with as many people as she can. I can move in this place, in this community, being African-American, and nobody, if I'm in my street clothes, knows that I'm the cop. My costume is part of one of the faces I wear. I'm a mother. I'm a black female before I'm anything else. Brooks represents an idea that police reform activists in Los Angeles have worked on for years. And it goes like this. If a community, even one hindered by systemic racism and violence, knows its police on an intimate level, there's less opportunity for conflict. Right now, the LAPD has teams of CSP officers at 10 different locations across LA mostly stationed around housing projects. But the goal is to scale this up in the coming years. So friendlier, more approachable cops, they're just part of the equation. The CSP program wouldn't work, Brooks says, without the support of community leaders. I'm here, I'm DC. Everybody know DC and the Imperial Court. DC has lived in the Imperial Court's housing project his entire life. And he's someone that officers like Brooks rely on to help de-escalate conflicts between the community and the cops. But he says that cooperation only goes so far. They still look at me as if I'm a criminal. So what? Big deal. And once they throw the yellow tape up, then I'm not permitted to even go up underneath that. Goes ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, only thing I can do is say, y'all need me. I don't need y'all. 
Research does show this model can work. A study from the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs of two housing projects in L.A. found the program helped reduce crime rates. But some activists, like Melina Abdullah with Black Lives Matter L.A., say community policing is not the answer. When all you're given as a solution to public safety is policing, then of course you look for the most palatable form possible. If that's all you think you have is a brutal way or a kinder way, you're going to, of course, pick the kinder way. She's calling for defunding police departments and redirecting resources to economic and public health programs. That's something that Dominique Miles can get behind. She lives and works in Nickerson Gardens, another housing project with these specialized officers. We do what we're asked of and we're still being thrown on a hood of a car, thrown on the sidewalk, or kicked, or shot. Miles says she gets it, why many are compelled to protest. Keeping your head down, she says, and waiting for the police to change just isn't getting them anywhere. I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Watts. Seniors move into nursing homes expecting safety and care. A woman said she experienced the opposite at Avocado Post Acute Nursing Home in El Cajon. She told KPBS's Amitha Sharma she was sexually assaulted by a caregiver. A state investigation revealed that Avocado's mishandling of her case put her and others at further risk. On a warning, this report contains graphic content that may be disturbing to some listeners. So it's going into shock. 73-year-old Catherine gotcher Girolamas says a certified nursing assistant at Avocado Post Acute shoved her face into a pillow and sexually assaulted her early one morning in June of 2019 during a diaper change. I'd asked him to stop, and he kept telling me that he had to clean me. And uh, I kept saying, no, you're hurting me. And... Uh, he kept hurting me, and uh, I just went limp. Gotcha Geronimo says she immediately told other caregivers that nursing assistant Matthew Flukiger had sodomized her with his fingers. She was confident avocado management would act swiftly against Flukiger. I expected them to fire him immediately. Instead, avocado suspended him and then allowed him to return to work three days later, according to an investigative report by the California Department of Public Health. That's one of the most alarming aspects of the case. Lawyer Scott Fikes represents Gotcha Geralimo, who no longer lives at Avocado, but is suing the facility. He said seeing the caregiver again horrified Gotcha Geralimo. She'd been through the trauma of a sexual assault, and then now you have the almost disorienting and terrifying event of seeing this person back where you live. Avocado eventually fired Flukiger. KPBS went to his home in El Cajon. Hi there. Hi. We're with KPBS. Are you Matthew Fleckiger? Hi, no statement. You've been accused of sexual assault. The delay in firing Flukiger was one in a series of decisions by Avocado Management that traumatized Gotcha Geralimo and jeopardized her and other residents. Every member of Avocado's staff is required by law to report sexual abuse allegations to the proper authorities within two hours. The state investigation found that the abuse was not reported within the two-hour period, nor did the facility submit an investigation of the complaint to the state within five working days as required. 
This, despite the fact that Gotcha Girolamo told two staffers immediately after the alleged attack. She also met with Avocado's administrator, Dina Mucchini, later that day. Yet Mucchini said to investigators that she was only immediately aware of, quote, rough handling not sexual abuse. But Gotcha Girolamo says she stated clearly to Mukini that she was sexually assaulted. I think the people at Avocado that failed to report this whole thing properly, they should never be allowed to work in nursing homes again. Avocado management also waited eight days to report the allegations to the El Cajon police, hampering efforts to gather vital evidence. So far, no charges have been filed. There's more. State investigators also revealed that Flukiger had been accused of sexual misconduct at Parkway Hills Nursing and Rehabilitation in La Mesa before Avocado hired him. It was alleged that he propositioned a patient there that he would provide them a carton of cigarettes in exchange for oral sex. Records also show that Flukiger was hired at San Diego Post Acute, another nursing home in El Cajon, just weeks after Avocado fired him and he allegedly sexually assaulted another woman there. More than a year after his alleged assault on Gotcha Girolamo, the Department of Public Health finally revoked his license to practice as a certified nursing assistant. Lawyer Mike Darick of California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform says poor pay for caregivers and lax oversight make nursing homes fertile ground for sexual predators. There isn't often much due diligence given to these people when they begin because they need someone who will do very difficult work for almost no money. Gotcha Girolamo says she is now left feeling insane significant. I was not protected. And when I went for help, I did not get it immediately. And of course, the person that did this to me is still out there. Amita Sharma, KPBS News. Avocado's lawyer declined comment for the piece citing litigation. Tune in tomorrow for the second part of this two-part series. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Allison St. John. With touring on pause and no bands coming to town, it's nice to know that local bands are still releasing new music. KPBS arts editor Julia Dixon-Evans is here with five new tracks from bands in the San Diego and Tijuana region and one that got away. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. First up is a solo work from an artist you may have heard of from the Redwoods music band, Danny Bell and the Tarantist. What has Danny Bell come up with on her own? Well, she's been working on some new solo work and just dropped a single, Got You. It's a quick romp, just two and a half minutes, but her vocals are hypnotic and delightful, and the track has a hopeful romance to it. Let's listen. Lipstick. 
That was Got You, a new single by Danny Bell. And if you want more from Danny, she just performed at the Casbah alongside Low Vaults this past weekend. The venue was empty, but it streamed live from Twitch. I've been really loving these shows, and you can watch the saved video still on their Twitch channel. And next, we have a track from emerging act Ingo Noir from a benefit compilation. So tell us about Alien Boy. Yeah, so I've mentioned this compilation before. It's by Craig Oliver's Volar Records. It's called Presence, Not Absence, uh, a benefit with proceeds going to SD Queer Black Housing and a few other regional organizations. But local R&B duo Ingo Noir offered two tracks, including this summer's Alien Boy. That's Alien Boy by Ingo Noir. Those vocal layers are really impressive and I love the production. It's both sparkling and raw. And the track feels somewhere between a love song and a surrender. It's really devastating song grinding that's kind of toe tapping at the same time. And the full compilation's worth a listen. So check out Bolar Records Bandcamp. I also really love the take on Dylan's Ballad of Hollis Brown by Cody Blanchard of Shannon and the Clams. Okay, so moving on, Tijuana born Vanessa Samora has a new single. Let's have a listen to Ayer. So that's Ayer by Vanessa Zamora. Ayer translates to yesterday. And Zamora has a really unique mix of indie, folk, pop, and R&B, and this track has it all. And Ayer is packed with longing, regret, and desire. And it's the third single she put out in 2020. So I'm watching out for a bigger release from her on the horizon. Next up is local band Strange Ages. The album cover on this, on Sad Piano Music, is very 2020. An abandoned piano in the bay and the band standing around it wearing masks. Is this a quarantine-themed album? In some ways, very much. It's a four-song EP and was conceived, written, and recorded entirely during the pandemic, mostly at home. But they also drew upon everything else going on, protests and injustice, and how everyone's basically living on social media. Strange Ages is a guitar-free indie band, really enchanting and lyrically rich music. My favorite track's the album's closer, Your Last Day. It's a slow burn, waltzing its way through the modern-day apocalypse. It's not your response. 
was Your Last Day by Strange Ages. And I should add that no new pianos were harmed by the band. A local piano repairman caught wind that one was already unfortunately dumped in the bay. So word spread and Strange Ages seized the opportunity. As far as time capsules go, it's pretty spot on. That's great. And finally, we have a new album from Cults called Host. But even though this is a New York band, apparently it has some San Diego roots. Yeah, Colts, Madeline Fallen, and Brian Oblivion were both raised in San Diego, but formed the band after they moved to New York. And it's been almost a decade since they skyrocketed to fame with their first album after an iTunes commercial featured Go Outside, which is kind of an earworm. And the new full length released a few weeks ago is really nice addition to their catalog. Lots of synth tinged pop, 70s aesthetic, and a really good dose of darkness. Let's listen to the opening track, Trials. And that's Trials by Cults. It has this deceivingly cheery and timeless tune, but also feels kind of detached and resigned, a little heartbreaking. I personally really love a good, upbeat, sad song. (laughs) You can find a playlist of these songs at kpbs.org or follow KPBS on Spotify. And we'd love to hear what you're listening to. Tell us in the KPBS Arts Facebook group. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Maureen. Finally, we take just a moment to remember the passing of Eddie Van Halen, virtuoso guitarist. The band Van Halen came out of Pasadena and blasted to superstardom in the 1970s. Eddie Van Halen died yesterday at age 65. KPBS On Demand is supported by Bill Howe Plumbing, Heating, and Air Restoration and Flood Services. Family owned and operated for three generations, Bill Howe has been serving the plumbing, heating, and air, and water damage needs of the San Diego area since 1980 with their fleet of trained professionals. Bill Howe has the ability to service all major and minor plumbing and HVAC emergency needs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Bill Howe is committed to providing excellent service to their customers with transparent quotes and attention to detail on every job. Whether you're in need of an HVAC installation, plumbing, or water damage restoration in San Diego, they offer the convenience of scheduling an appointment over the phone, online, or through live chat on their website. Call 1-800-BILL-HOWE or visit billhowe.com because we know how.